Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Will M&A pick up in 2024? Will this year mark the return of IPOs? Listen to Strategic Alternatives, a podcast from RBC Capital Markets, to get fresh insights on the trends and market forces impacting deal flow across sectors and find out how companies and investors are preparing for potential surge in deal activity and what signals to watch for this year. Listen and subscribe to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a very special edition of OK Computer. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined by Deirdre Bosa, CNBC's host of Tech Check. Debo, welcome back to the pod. As always, pleasure to be here, especially during mega cap earnings season. This is it. This is your Super Bowl. And, and again, your Niners are in the Super Bowl, so you must be happy about that. Are you yeah, taking credit? Like Super Bowls. Going I know, like the Technorati out there. You guys like take credit when the Warriors go to the finals and when the, the, the Niners are all good. And that's why us New Yorkers, we're always rooting against the Niners. I got to say, the football world, I'm not a huge football fan, but the football sports fandom in San Francisco feels very genuine, whereas I never bought into the whole Warriors thing. It felt like a lot of bandwagon jumping. I will say... I get asked so much if I'm related to Mr. Nick Boza. I'm not, if anyone out there is wondering. Or Debo Samuel, for that matter. See what I did there? So that, that's a, the 49ers there, too. I right, Listen, we got a ton going on other than tech earnings this week. This is why this is a very special OKC drop on a Tuesday. I am down at the iConnections Global Alt Conference in Miami. Guy Dami's down here with me. We're doing CNBC's Fast Money here for a couple nights in a row. We're doing our market call down here. Guy and I have Jim Chanos on. We have a big short panel. We have Danny Moses, Port Collins, Vincent Daniel, Steve Eisman. That will be on the Risk Reversal Media YouTube page. Liz Young, our good friend, is also going to be interviewing Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley and David Zervos of Jeffries. That's going to be on the page. And I am interviewing Rick Heitzman, the founder of First Mark Capital, and Alexis O'Haney, the founder of 776 and the co-founder of Reddit. So all those conversations are going to be on the page. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get all this stuff. It's all going to be in there. All right, Debo, let's do it. Tomorrow, Tuesday, as you're listening to this, after the close, some really interesting earnings. Most of all, Microsoft and AMD. Both of them are trading very near all-time highs. Microsoft is trading at an all-time high as we speak right now, very close to $410 over a $3 trillion market cap, trading 36 times this year's expected earnings that are supposed to grow high teens. Next year, let's say mid-teens growth trading 31 times. The setup is really interesting to me, D, because expectations could not have been higher. If you just think about it that right there, it's up literally like 12% just in the last few weeks into the print here. And when I think about this, it kind of reminds me of the excitement into that July quarter when they reported and the stock was then at an all-time high. Folks were really interested in what they had to say about pricing for Copilot and all these AI tools that they were going to be embedding. Now, we know the pricing. We know that they're going to be in the numbers. And I just don't know how they are going to leap over the expectations right now. And just to be clear, from those July highs, the stock sold off 15% to its September lows, but has since rallied 30%, nearly $1 trillion in market cap. 
thoughts here a little bit of the setup in Microsoft into the print tomorrow? I would agree with you. Expectations are sky high. However, we've had expectations for the last year and a little company named NVIDIA has taught us that those expectations can always be leapfrogged. However, NVIDIA more of a straightforward story, right? They're selling GPs. They've got dominance in that market. It's a little more noise around Microsoft, right? They've come out with those monetization numbers for Copilot and they're seeing some of it in the cloud, but it's not as specific. And we've talked about this before, but last year, you know, investors were happy to hear that a company like Microsoft is investing in generative AI and they have a product coming out called Copilot, I think the street is going to be a little more discerning this time around. Where does it actually come through on the top line, on the bottom line? And there's still this sort of undertone of efficiency, right? When you think about how we started the year and Google has been on top, Alphabet with waves of layoffs, Microsoft hasn't done one this year. So there could be some narrative around that. What are they doing to not just take advantage of Gen AI, but become fitter too, while some of its peers are? Yeah, and this is purely anecdotal. I know that you like to tinker. You're an early adopter. I've been using GPT-4, paying 20 bucks a month. Um, I don't use Microsoft Office for any Anything, so I'm not going to be a co-pilot customer. I do use a bunch of Google stuff and I would be using Bard and Gemini and stuff like that. And I'm also using Perplexity, you know, which is obviously a, another chat bot. And I got to tell you, GPT-4 to me is underwhelming. If the big debate is going to be really about search right now, let's just say the Microsoft versus Google, right? The open AI versus Bard and Gemini is what does it do for search? I frequently go to GPT-4 and I put in a query and it says, well, as of my last updated information and it gives me a bunch of stuff. And then sometimes it'll search Bing. I would never go to Bing. Now I know that they've integrated OpenAI tech into Bing, but oftentimes I'm not even finding like results nearly as good as a typical sort of Google search. And then another one, this is Gavin Baker from Atreides Management. He was a, a brilliant tech investor. He's been uh, a guest on our pod. He's actually down here at Global Alts this week. You know, he had an interesting tweet the other day where he put something out just asking about Copilot and just kind of trying to get feedback because he's generally been unimpressed. And I was looking at the mentions and, and some of the comments and there weren't too many great defenses of it. So I guess my point is, I think there's going to be a lot of enterprise folks, early adopters who try it out, who are going to be maybe dissatisfied. Those who are satisfied will obviously continue to use it. But I just wonder at the end of the day, if it's going to be at least in 2024, fairly unexciting as it relates to Microsoft's numbers right now. Thoughts on that? I think your question is for the consumer, right? Is it going to be more than a chatbot, the way that you and I use it? And you were saying that it hasn't replaced search for you. I would say it's replaced search a little bit more for me because what I'm doing all day is researching, but I still got to look at the links, right? I still want to know where everything comes from, which is why I like, say, like a perplexity over a Bard or a chat GPT. Although if you're using GPT-4, I subscribe to it as well. You are getting those links. But you're right. I was at a dinner recently and, okay, it's cool to have a chat bot and you can talk things through. And I like how it can do my math problems for me and show me each step by step, personally, because I'm not that good at math. So I like seeing that and... I use it constantly all day, but you're right. Like if this is going to be the biggest shift since the internet, there's got to be more, right? There's got to be something more like than an unreliable chat bot. I've heard lots of really interesting enterprise cases, right? And that's sort of where Microsoft and Google and Amazon, they all operate. You've got one side, which is the killer app, right? And some say that perplexity and some of these upstarts are doing it better because the user interface is better. But if that's all you're going on, I don't know. It doesn't seem that hard for me for Google to offer it for free. 
and clean up their user interface eventually. But the enterprise side of things does seem really compelling, right? Because you're not using it as a chatbot. You're using it to analyze all of your data within a company. And I think that there's a lot of use cases. And I was at a dinner with the Salesforce AI CEO, and she was telling me this example of how they had Hermes, the fashion label, uses the work with Salesforce to incorporate generative AI, and they have a customer support team. And the customer support team using generative AI is able to do so much more. That team has transformed into a personal concierge for each person that comes up with all of this information at their fingertips. That was kind of first time where I thought, wow, that is actually like leveling up for a company like Hermes. And yes, it starts as a chatbot, but it's also the power of that chatbot with all the information within a company that helps them serve a customer better. And the irony of that is that that was Salesforce value prop to many enterprises for many years about just taking data, structuring it better and having better interfaces and being able to access it quicker and deal with your customers better. So to me, this feels more in the enterprise, but like an evolution. And I don't think the kind of revolutionary thing application, that killer app has made itself aware just yet. So going back to the Microsoft print and the expectations and where the stock is, and where the valuation is, and where the market cap is, I just think that to your point about NVIDIA and specifically last year, so they kept on beating expectations after that report in May, but the stock remained very range bound between $400 and $500. It wasn't until this year. And to me, I would say this has something to do with something technical. But this year when it finally broke out and then rallied $125, literally 25% in a straight line now has a $1.5 trillion market cap. That's truly astounding. But again, what are they going to have to do when they report in a few weeks, right, to justify that move? And that's my point right here is I think investor enthusiasm for a whole host of probably decent reasons has gotten a little too far ahead of itself because if you do start to see moderating growth rates, that's when you're going to see a check back in some of these valuations. And then the last piece of this puzzle is that we have a Fed meeting on Wednesday. There's zero expectation for rate cuts. The rate cut expectations for the March meeting have been ratcheted down dramatically just a few weeks ago. It was like 75, 80% probability. It's less than 50 right now. And so to me, if the narrative, okay, higher for longer as far as rates comes back, and then you don't have this really material acceleration in growth rates related to these new products for some of these big companies, that's when you have this sort of situation, again, that we had from late July into early September, where some of these stocks correct, because then it's just, there's too much too fast, in my opinion. They kind of win either way. If rates go up or they go down because they're seen as defensives and they still did very well over last year. But to your point though, like when is this generative AI cycle going to provide real growth? Let's be honest, the street actually cares about the cloud. We can talk about generative AI as much as we want, but last quarter I go back, Google missed its cloud number. Didn't really matter what it said on Gen AI, that stock dropped after Microsoft had really good cloud numbers. So it went off and sure, like generative AI was part of that story, but I don't know that Wall Street actually cares. They just need that cloud number to be strong because it makes up so much of their businesses. And speaking of cloud, Amazon, it's still an open question. Has it actually bottomed? That's a really good, as far as Alphabet's concerned, the stock sold off 9% after its earnings that day because of the disappointment and around the cloud growth and, and the expected share gains that Microsoft's making on the back of their ability to overlay a bunch of these uh, gen AI tools within their cloud offering, right? 
right? And that's something that should buoy demand for that. So that's going to be a big theme across Microsoft, across Alphabet, and obviously Amazon is on Thursday after the close also. And one quick note on that as well. It's not just their cloud growth, but how much they're spending on CapEx. And that could be interesting for an AMD. It may not necessarily be generative AI growth at the moment, but it could be some of the infrastructure for that could buoy the chip stocks that have already been doing so well. So that could be one catalyst, but it could also, in this era, when we're still focused on efficiency, if that number is too high for the hyperscalers, that could be a wet blanket. Bring it back to the chip. So AMD, Tuesday after the close, okay, this stock has been up in sympathy with NVIDIA over the last couple months. The stock has nearly doubled since the fall. Okay, just think about that. It's up nearly 100%. This is AMD. So we've just seen just sheer multiple expansion. They don't even have the GPUs yet that are competing really for the most part in, in, in large quantity to compete with NVIDIA right now. How are they going to compete largely on price at some point? So if a lot of these hyperscalers have to start to cut costs, and we've heard tons of that. We've heard from Meta that they're buying billions and billions of dollars worth of GPUs. Obviously, Elon has been talking about that also specifically from NVIDIA. There was a headline today in the information that XAI, so this is Elon, a generative AI company is looking to raise $6 billion at a $20 billion valuation. What are they going to spend a lot of that money that they raise? It's going to be on GPUs, hopefully. The fact that company is being anointed this valuation as just another also ran just because it's Elon's company is really interesting. The most interesting thing, D, though, that I saw in that headline or in that story was where are they raising that money? Sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East and family offices. These are not name brand US VC that are leading these rounds or whatever. I think a lot of them are full up. They place their bets in this space. And then a lot of them are already bet on Elon. They got enough Elon bets out there between Tesla and Twitter and SpaceX and Boring and Neuralink and all this other stuff. So he's getting a bit saturated too. I also think it's just the nature of what he's building, right? If he's actually building the large language model, you need so much of the compute power and none of the VCs are investing in that. It's the mega caps. It's the Microsoft, Googles and Amazons that are providing the billions of dollars necessary. $6 million is not something that VC firms do often. And even if there was one like a SoftBank or a Tiger, they're full up and they've got to work off their past investments still. So that makes sense to me. With AMD, I think it's not just Elon Musk who says he's going to be stocking up on GPUs from NVIDIA and others as they hit the market. It's also Zuckerberg. Remember, that was just a few weeks ago. He said he's going to be spending tons of money and AMD is prime position and no one wants to miss the next NVIDIA. But here's the thing. They didn't miss it, right? So when you think about where the stock's trading yeah, and, and the appreciation there. of it, for instance, like to me, this is where I put my cynical hat on and I say, listen, all these companies want second source for these GPUs. What GPUs, when you think about how they had to scurry around and the premiums that they had to pay to get access to them over the last year and a half, this is going to make it a lot better for a lot of these folks, especially when they're having sort of their own pressures about passing on the cost or the higher cost to their customers for these products and services. So how is AMD going to compete? They're going to probably compete on price for a product that's maybe not as good as the H100s and the like here. So like to me, that's one of the things where I just get really nervous about an AMD. If you've been piling in over the last few weeks or so, I think probably a lot of the good news for the better part of this year is in the stock. I think that's fair. And I think it's good to be skeptical. But if you look at what happened to an NVIDIA last year, sure, the stock went crazy, but it's actually cheaper, right? In some ways than it was last year, because its stock 
tripled, I think, but its earnings quadrupled because of the success of its H100. So if you think that AMD can even have a fraction of that success, folks on Wall Street would tell themselves that there's more here. I want to get back to a theme of last year too, which is these are all themes of last year, but there's very few ways to play it. And and so that's why we got that name, the Magnificent Seven. I could say that it's like the Fab Six now or something like that. Tesla's clearly out of that. This is from Super Six. Yeah, exactly. This is from the Earnings Insight blog over at FactSet. And I thought this was really interesting. So six of the seven mag, mag seven companies are projected to be the top six positive contributors to year-over-year earnings growth for the S&P 500 for Q4 2023, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple. In aggregate, these six companies are expected to report year-over-year earnings growth of 54% or so for the fourth quarter. Excluding these six companies, the blended, this combines actual and estimated results earnings decline for the remaining 494 companies in the S&P 500, it would be 10.5%. So just think about it. Decline? Okay? Did yes, you say it would like, be a decline wow. of 494 companies. So again, my point here is that literally the fate of the stock market rests in these companies. And so to me, when you have the sort of pull forward like we just had, NVIDIA going up 25% in a straight line, AMD in the last month or two going up 25% in a straight line. Over the last three months, Microsoft has been up 25%. Again, it's the major contributors of earnings. If they are to decelerate, they're still going to be up a lot. But think about the declines that we're seeing on a trailing basis from most of the companies in the S&P. That's why I get a little nervous right now because this concentration. And then the other thing is that we're starting to lose this narrative that the market was broadening out towards the end of last year and is working its way into other groups, the equal weight S&P has lost all of that outperformance that it had over the last kind of two months or so. And then small caps can't get out of their own way. So my point is, there is a very acute situation, once again, with these half a dozen stocks. And to me, that makes for an accident waiting to happen if there's any reason whatsoever to sell these stocks. Dan, I feel like you are speaking my language. I'm a broken record every quarter this comes around. We say big tech earnings, one stumble could throw the whole market. It's dramatic. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Ever since the pandemic, they make up so much of the broader stock market that it isn't so important that they at least do okay. But I'm also getting tired of that narrative because even last quarter, you could say that like a Google stumble down 9% right after earnings, it still just hit a record high last week. These businesses are just operating at such a high level. I, I know I probably just called the top now, right? By saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> because no, no, this is no, the it, first quarter listen, where I'm like, it's always... But D, these are not generally one quarter things, okay? So that's the other thing. And it's really important sometimes to just separate what investors are willing to do and what the companies and what the fundamentals are saying. So here's a good example. Tesla is a cult stock. Elon has a cult following. No one wanted to believe that the fundamentals of that company, and I sounded like a broken record for all of 2022 and all of 2023, that the fundamentals were worsening. The competitive landscape was getting much worse. Now, that sounded really boring to a lot of people because they looked at the market share that they had in North America. They looked at the margins they had relative to Detroit and the Korea and this and whatever. Over the last four quarters, when this company has reported, the stock on average has sold off 10%, the last four consecutive quarters, because their earnings and their guidance were disappointing. And the stock has just gone from 250 to 190, where it is right now. That's just in the last six weeks or so. So so to me, I've seen this game before. I've seen cult stories come unwound. And I've never, and I have to go back 25 years, essentially, to recall when we had such a small excitement about a secular shift in technology and what that meant for the broader stock market. But even back then, 
stocks like GE, and there were other non-tech stocks that were some of the biggest. Now it's just tech. And so I'm just trying to point out the fact that if Google, if we were to lose Google, let's say their cloud growth is declining. Let's say they're not catching up in Gen AI the way people expected. And that stock sells off and goes back to where it was two months ago. You just got to keep tabs on on, on how, how all these companies are doing relative to the expectations because sooner or later things can come undone and that's why i bring you back to that summer into the fall period because the nasdaq sold off 10 percent, but stocks like microsoft sold off 15 percent. they've just been bouncing back quicker than we've ever seen them and i i feel like there's a little bit of tina in effect here right there is no alternative you talked about how this rally was supposed to broaden out but it's still these names and I, i'm with you i remember in 2022 after the horrible year that the mega caps had thinking to myself, what's going to be the next leadership in these markets? Could it be healthcare? And they were back within a year, right? And, and now they're still going. So of course, it's important to follow these trends. And my piece this morning on Tech Check was about how Google search could be disrupted. Of course, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And you see the market share of Google versus Bing versus anyone else. They've just dominated for so many years now. Who in the world is going to crack that? But there's just some, like exactly what you're talking about. There's some signs that there's some upstarts that are being built. They're native generative AI companies, right? And let's not discount that because it's really hard to turn a massive ship like Google or Amazon. And one day we may wake up like we did with OpenAI and all of a sudden they're beating Google at its own game. It's a good reminder, right? That Google had all of these ingredients. It was an AI-centric company forever and it still got shown up by OpenAI. And, and to your point, I think the clearest example of what OpenAI has been able to do as far as a paradigm shift within like the existing computing landscape, you have to go back to Google 25 years ago for all intents and purposes when you think about that. And obviously you've mentioned this on many occasions, cloud and the cloud pairs led by Amazon drag Microsoft in, drag all these other players like Alphabet into this space. And now it's a, a much more competitive landscape. And I'll just make the last point here is that Alphabet, if the two biggest risks is that generative AI and these large language models, if they really pose a big threat to Google search, maybe not today, maybe not next quarter, but over the course of the next few quarters or next few years, and then you have similar kind of they take their eye off the ball as it relates to cloud or somebody else picks something up. That's how these stories come undone. And then so that's why I just think I, I know it sounds redundant, but pay attention because you know what, whether you know it or not, you are long lots of these and all of these major index ETFs and everything like that. These six or seven stocks make up 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100 and 37% of the weight of the S&P 500. We just told you about Q4 earnings contribution. The 494 are expected to be down 10% while these six stocks are expected to be up 54%. All right, I'll stop preaching there. Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. And it's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to current.com slash OK. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC.
In today's hyper-fast markets, it's never been more important to consider every option to raise capital, drive growth, and create value. Stay one step ahead with Strategic Alternatives, a podcast from RBC Capital Markets. In this season, RBC's experts will examine how corporates and investors are evaluating their strategic plans, reassessing their portfolios, and reallocating capital to help them lead today and define tomorrow. Tune in to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast today. You had a great long-form report. I saw it on CNBC.com, and it seems to be getting a lot of play over there. And I wonder if it's a combination. So this is on the Headset Wars. This is Vision Pro, which just came out a few weeks ago, and obviously this Quest device from Meta. And I wonder, and I'm just always curious, when you look at some of those reports that you do, is it that people are interested from a consumer standpoint, from an investing standpoint? What do you think? Do you think it's a nice combination? Because some of the investors are obviously early adopters too, but this one seems, A, it was a great report, but B, it really is something that I think we're going to be tracking very closely for years to come, because this might be the early stages of this war. Yeah. And every week we sit down and we say, what is our topic going to be? And we've been doing these sort of weekly deep dives for a year now. And we really think hard about who we're producing these videos for. It's not for necessarily the person who drops in to CNBC to watch a four minute segment on the headsets or hear an analyst talk about it or a tech reviewer. This is someone who's maybe not necessarily in the C-suite, who's a junior project manager or developer or who's in HR or marketing and wants like a smart overview of some of these biggest topics in technology, right? So we're not product reviewers. And I haven't even tried the Vision Pro yet, much to my dismay. I email, I text someone from Apple every single day saying, I'm in San Francisco. I'll be in Cupertino this afternoon. Just give me one of these things. So we, we're not coming at it from there, but we're coming at it from a very CNBC perspective. And why is always the most important question. So why are we in the headset wars? Why do we care what Google's making? And why do we care about what Meta's making? And it turns out they're two very different products. And we break that down. Apple's Vision Pro is personal. You're meant to sit in your home and consume content and have your home theater like you're in like an IMAX studio because the technology is interesting and you've never seen, you've never watched movies like this, but you're basically on your own. Meta, very, very social way of approaching the spatial computing shift. You're supposed to do it with friends. You're supposed to go into a metaverse and meet up with people. And we compare like all these different aspects of it. So one's personal, one is social. Apple, for example, has this incredible vertical integration. It has this experience with devices and now it's designing its own chips in-house, which gives it such an advantage. Meta, however, is just starting. So they've got that hill to climb. They've never really had a successful killer device, but they both have issues with developers, right? Who trust Meta at this point? Maybe they're winning a little bit back. And then who trusts Apple, right? Who's been taking 30% of your sales over the last decade through its app store. So we really just sit back and tell you from like more of a business point of view, what do you need to know? Why would you be interested in maybe investing or even care about these headsets? And also this bigger question of does this even happen, right? At the end, we introduce the idea, maybe headsets are not the next computing shift. There's been so much fascinating hardware we talked about before this year, like the rabbit, like the humane pin. Maybe none of them have exactly nailed it yet, or I'm not sure yet. Maybe it's too early, but maybe it's not going to be headsets at all. I love that part of the report because I thought the humane or the rabbit, while they didn't get great reviews, I could see the utility of them before you are ready to go into this kind of this mask or, or goggle like world. You, you know what I mean? Because I'll never use those. I, and I get the, the social 
social aspects. Metaverse is gaming. It's a, a whole host of other things which I don't do and I'm never going to do. The flip side, I live in an Apple ecosystem. I have an iPad. I have an iMac. I have an iPhone. I have AirPods and all that sort of stuff. So like I get all that. And there's some things that I would do on a solitary basis that that might be an amazing experience, but not at $3,500 and not exactly. like for, you know, not to have this thing. And the irony is that the humane pin or the rabbit remind me of a device that came out 12 years ago, I think. And it was called Google Glass, which was a fairly unobtrusive sort of eyeglass that had a pin on it for all intents and purposes. And there was utility in what they were attempting to do. You know what I mean? It was meant to be an artificial assistant, if you will, you know what I mean, rather than augmented reality or virtual reality. And so I wonder if someone's going to figure out that, which will be the gateway drug to these much more immersive sort of goggles that like will eventually emerge. Like, I get it. But not right, at that but point. But is something going to come before it? Yeah. So that's the stuff that sort of intrigues me. We had uh, your friend and mine, Dan Niles of Saturi Fund on the pod a few weeks ago, and he was talking about these glasses that actually have some good functionality. And again, you're wearing a sunglass. Most people are very used to that sort of thing. They're not used to goggles. So to me, I think there's going to be other devices that come out that are going to be like the gateway drug before we get to these much more immersive products. That's just my two cents, though. I, th I thought it was a great report, and we'll definitely put it in the show notes so everyone should watch that. All right, Debo, we covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate you making time for us today. Again, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Amazon, the Google, the Meta, they're all reporting this week. I think AMD might be one of the most interesting ones, just like getting a sense of the pull forward as far as sentiment and, and what investors are thinking about and what they're able to guide. Same thing with Microsoft relative to the stock's performance. So we will check back next week with you. We'll do a little rundown of all of those names. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot, Deirdre. Of course. Obviously, check out all the exciting stuff going on on Risk Versa Media's. We got a lot of stuff this week. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.